0: Podcast platforms. Be sure to give me a follow on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok as well at Matt Stocks DJ. That way you can keep up to date with all of my live QA dates, my DJ performances, and of course, who's coming up on the show as well. But without further ado, let's crack on with the show, shall we? Here we go.
1: Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out.
0: So I'm friends with Everlast. Oh, right on. And uh, I've interviewed him and hung out with him several times over the last six or seven years. And the first time we met, he told me what I thought was at the time a bit of an exclusive story to my show. Uh, But having done some research on you for today's chat, I saw that he dropped the story with you in your smoke box as well. But I'm talking about the time that uh, House of Pain opened up for the Ramones. Oh, yeah. Two nights on the trot and obviously gloriously kind of just met the wrath of the punk brigade on the first night. And he said how you know to this day the reason we you know why he loves you is because you were there that night and he came over to the side of the stage and was like don't worry I get it if you don't want to come out and right. you were like no fuck that I'm coming out
1: well yeah I mean you know <laughs> he's he's my brother man you know through through the thick and the thin in both our careers you know the ups and downs we've been very good friends you know we've been in each other's weddings you know we practically live an identical life uh everlasting eye and I think that's why our our bond has been so strong for these you know 20 some odd years you know th- that we've met you know and uh, been able to work together tour together you know hang out like as friends away from the business and stuff like that so you know it, it's 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 been a, a, a dope friendship man to say the least man he's like my brother he's one of the 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 few in the circle that i have i have a a pretty decent circle of people that i can say that are my my brothers and sisters and whatnot aside from my like immediate family and what yeah whatnot and he's definitely one of them man you know um yeah, man, he's 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 a great dude. He's quite the figure, man. And, and we share it. some great stories, like you know, that's just one. <laughs> <laughs> Could you put me in the picture of maybe a, a touring story from back in the day? A touring story back in the day, we were um and and this was ne- wasn't necessarily a tour. It was more like a one-off. But we had a um we had a show in Humboldt County, which was a big place in California in terms of marijuana right. cannabis. Um, cultivation and use and quality at the time. You know, everybody was always reeling about, you know, um, humble County weed and stuff like that. And we had a chance to do a show at the university. And, uh, you know, we were all out there together. It was some of the, you know, the house paying guys in, in Cypress Hill. And, you know, I believe it was a, 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 an actual show with both of us i can't remember that part but i know we were together and we were in a hotel room like in in all our crew had just one floor you know so it was house of Payne cypress hill you know taking one whole floor of this hotel where there m- might have been like you know six seven other guests in the hotel because it was very May- mayberry a small you know humble county is a small Town up north in California, and uh, the town square is very small. We took uh, mushrooms one, you know, that night, and we were in our hotel room just causing havoc, yelling crazy shit out the window. And, you know, just, you know, we remember like it. And it was, I think, the day before the LA riots, we were still on mushrooms when we were driving back into California. I mean, into Southern California, when we've seen all this black smoke happening, we're like, fuck, this is, looks like the apocalypse is happening. And come to find out that the, the verdict from um, the Rodney King uh, thing with the, the, the officers that were on trial for, for uh, the abuse, you know, was a not guilty it came back and the city went crazy. So we're coming back from a crazy night in in Humboldt County to like the city burning and we're still kind of semi on mushrooms at the time. We're just <laughs> totally freaked out. It was it was a it was a quite it was a reality check, right? Yeah, but it was it was it was a story that we share like one of many, but you know it was, it was pretty crazy cuz the night before we we're just carefree and stupid and we get back to to reality and you see all this black smoke all this crazy shit happening in the city and we're like wow we're still too stoned to realize you know exactly what was happening
0: you were the guy right that linked him and Muggs together pre House of Pain and well, that you, was kind of where the in, in terms of
1: connection the working, there came about in terms of the working together yes um, you know Everlast knew uh, Muggs and Everlast knew each other through um, you know this girl that Muggs was dating, he was friends with uh, the girl Everlast was dating at the time, and uh, you know, I believe they lived together in an apartment. These two, these two women, and uh, or they were just that close that they'd always spend time at each other's spot, and that's how um, Muggs met Lethal and Everlast, and I met Everlast through through them. I mean, I knew of Everlast, and I bumped into him at a club one night, and. But we we didn't meet. We just kind of bumped into each other, literally, and uh, you know, maybe a few months later we met through mugs, and and you know I got to know him, and I thought, man, this is a fucking cool dude, you know, and we just got along off the top, you know, and uh, he was he at one point he was showing me like kind of like the new style he was he was doing, as opposed to the one he you know was with when he was with um, the syndicate and whatnot. Yeah. And uh, I thought, man, that's pretty dope, man. You know, like, I, I heard the potential there because he's, he's a very talented dude. And, um, you know, I had gotten the jump around beat from Mugs, and for some reason I could not come up with anything for it. One of the few times in my career where I pretty much got stumped by a, a, a song and, uh, you know, I, I gave the beat back to Muggs. I said, hey, Muggs, I, for some reason, there's nothing coming to me off this. And I think he got kind of bothered by it. But Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. What, well, this is dope beat, like, what? Like, <laughs>
1: yeah, he gave me the Mugs look like, you know, like, what? How dare you? <laughs> no, but I was like, you know, but I think that if you gave it to Everlast, i think he can do something with it because he's got some cool shit jumping off i think he can make this one go and uh you know to his credit he you know he was open-minded enough to to play it forever last and everlast jumped right on it like i knew he could and would and he fucking smashed one out the park you know as we call it you know in in america like a home run yeah you know and uh It's been one of their biggest fucking hits to date, man. It's a monster, isn't it? Yeah, you know, I kick myself for not, you know, being able to come (laughs) up with something as clever, but but it was meant for him. And, and, you know, uh, everything happens for a reason, you know, and um, maybe I get on that song, it doesn't, it's not the hit that it becomes with them. So, you know, for me, it was something that was meant to be for them. And my part of it was that, you know, I suggested to, you know, Mugs. hey, give it to him. I think he'll do something. And he did something. So, you know, pat on the back for, yeah. for myself for calling that one, <laughs> you know. The, ins- the
0: kind of inspiration and influence of House of Pain was obviously sort of quite specific and unique to a certain style of music. With Cypress Hill, although you were obviously... Kind of within the latin american community and you're the first latin american hip-hop band to break through your influence stretched far and wide beyond just that community right. and you had you know black communities asian hispanic caucasian so many people took influence from you guys in the 90s who were your influences as kind of beat makers and then you as a as a lyricist and as a rapper as well
1: well as as beat makers i know that um you know not speaking for mugs but you know us being partners in that time and, and being around each other and listening to a lot of the same shit, you know, because we've had the same taste in music um, for the most part. And one of the, the big influences was Public Enemy. Right. You know, and that's and that's not to say because I'm in a band with Chuck, but that's the reality of it. You know, their production was far beyond anyone else's at the time in terms of the arrangements and the breaks that existed within a public enemy song. It wasn't just verse, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, chorus. It was verse, chorus, break, bridge back to chorus or verse. You know, there was any, you know, like they, they, never gave an indication on how a song would go but it always had these different layers and dimensions and this is something that appealed to us and definitely appealed to mugs because if you listen to the early cypress hill records they had the breaks and bridges and, and things like that much like public enemy so you know the bomb squad um you know prince paul and and uh, even Stet- Stetsasonic for a time when when they were very active. You know, they were big influences in terms of production and stuff like that. And, and uh, you know, in terms of rap styles, again, you know, Chuck D, Public Enemy, the back and forth between Flavor Flav, Run DMC, who was, you know, the our absolute inf- influences. They were the pioneers. And, you know, it's just that what Public Enemy did was they took a dynamic that was similar and added different layers to it. And obviously the content and the message Mm -hmm. was different, but you know, it was, you know, sort of derived from, you know, that all these groups are, are influenced. The beastie boys were a big influence. Um, Just the style that they had throwing it back and forth between the three guys and the animated, sounds of of their their vocals like they've exaggerated a lot of their vocals but it was awesome so you know i I took bits and pieces like that from them and you know just the influence and then you know krs1 was also a big influence um the classics right the forefathers
0: oh yeah what a good time for not just rap music but all music i think at that point everything was kind of so, even within rock every band it was kind of all under the umbrella of alternative but every yeah. single band in that collective was so different from one another yeah
1: everybody was distinct and they had their own layers mm-hmm. to to you know their music if a public enemy song came on you knew it was a public enemy song same thing with uh, Boogie Down Production and eventually KRS-One Solo when when a Big Daddy Kane came, came, song came on or a Rakim song you would know those songs and You know those were like the first big influences on me like the the rappers rappers you know like as a duo and group it was run dmc and houdini and epmd and beastie boys that were like our first big big influences and at least for me and then eventually you know public enemy came in that line de la soul and you know just they, they were just before us but it was still you know just this a new a new sound of hip-hop for us that was more you know catered to who we were at the time you know what i mean and uh you know it was just there was a lot of great things to be influenced by and um you know it was good to be a part of that transition right after them because i mean we were so influenced by them you know but the the producers at the time like mugs and rizza premier pete rock and and the like um were just doing incredible things due to the influences of those before us you know and it made for such a great musical landscape at that time and uh but without those guys's music before us you know we wouldn't have had a clue you know half of us probably wouldn't even be doing this you know if it wasn't for those early records how did you get your
0: break what Was was it How I Could Just Kill a Man? Was that the song which kind of changed the course of yeah, Cypress that, Hill's
1: story? that song definitely changed the course. I mean, uh, Joe the Butcher, um, Nicolo, or Nicolo, people say it different. Mm-hmm. Um, he was the first to kind of see the potential in Cypress Hill. He knew Muggs via the 783 albums or album, and he liked Muggs. He liked Muggs' ideas. He thought Muggs was on you know on the path of becoming a great producer and he you know he was just always interested in what mugs was doing and he heard about this new band that mugs was in called cypress hill so he wanted to hear it and uh, there was a couple other people that were interested in us like Funkin', and klein um rest in peace he was a a big hip-hop figure back in the day in terms of um, you know he just he had his finger on the pulse and he was at a, a label called Hollywood Basic, and he was also a friend of Muggs and, and myself. And when he heard what we were doing, he wanted Cypress Hill for Hollywood Basic. No one else wanted us, but but Joe and and Funk and Klein. Everybody else took a hard pass on Cypress Hill. You know, because it was so different. Because I Because it, it was right? so different. Yeah. My vocals were yeah, very yeah. different, and.
0: And oh, what you and, were singing
1: about was raw. And, and it was raw, and it yeah. was different, and they, they didn't understand the weed um, <laughs> shit. So, you know, we got hard passes from a lot of, lot of labels, and um, but those were the two that were like, we absolutely want this. And there wasn't necessarily a bidding war, because we didn't want to play our friends against each other, but it was like, you know, at first we were leaning towards Funk and Klein at Hollywood Basic because we were closer to him than we were with Joe. You know, we had a a friendship with him that we would see him almost every other week. He lived in California for a time or spent a lot of time in Cali. So, you know, he was hanging out with us all the time. So we're like, yeah, we can go with Funk and Klein. But Hollywood Basic kept asking for demo after demo after demo. And Joe the Butcher heard like three and was like, I want this group. I want it. I got to have it. And I think Sendog was the determining factor on where we would go because it, in the end he was like, you know, I'm done with giving these guys demo after demo. We've given them six, seven demos already, and they can't make a decision. Joe wants us. Let's go with Joe. If we not, if we're not going with Joe, I'm going back to work. And we're like, I guess we're going with Joe, and it ended up being a great decision. You know, it was it was great timing for send dog to put his foot down and just say you know what we're either going with joe or we're not going or i'm not going and uh you know him being you know the the elder in the group i was we're going where send dog wants to go let's go and fortunately joe saw the vision um donnie einer at, at sony columbia saw our vision and they just let us do our thing and You know, we were able to to have some success with our sound, with our imagery, with our live show, and just in general, you know, because they let us be who we wanted to be.
0: The album for me, which switched me on, I mean, I was aware of the the debut, but it was really Black Sunday for me, and I guess that was maybe the crossover one, was it, with the help of Insane in the Brain? Right. What was your memory of making that album at the time?
1: I thought it was great because, you know, we got to... um, go to New York and and record this album at Baby Monster Studio, which was a dream of of mine as an MC. when you know that hip-hop started in in New York, the birthplace is in New York. Yeah, You know, what better, you know, way to, you know, come into the game or not come into the game, but like, you know, if you're going to be in hip-hop music, why not? Go to the Mecca and record, you know, and uh, we were able to record the Black Sunday album there. Um, Muggs went and got an apartment in New York um, for the better part of a year to two years. And in the second year is when, you know, we started to get. Rumblings of Sony saying hey we got to get these guys back in the studio there's a momentum building and this was due to how I could just kill a man catching heat
0: was that because of its inclusion in Juice on the well, soundtrack it was, that, did that help
1: it, it was two things it was that the mix shows flipped the record because the, the, our first single was a double, double A side in how I could or Funky Fill one in how I could just kill a man in double A side meaning that the DJ had the choice to flip it if he wanted to we only had a video out to Funky Fill one because they felt how I could sh- kill a man how I could just kill a man would be too aggressive for radio to pump so why waste money on a video for that um, but they changed their mind quickly once the once the um, DJ started flipping the record and playing how I could just kill a man in the mix shows after that that's when it caught the attention of chuck d and the bomb squad and the people you know doing the juice score and soundtrack they thought
0: that was chuck behind that
1: yeah right you know, we gotta wow. have this song in this it's movie. Like all coming full circle yeah and we didn't know that at the time we right. just you know we we didn't know who was doing the score you know we were fans of the bomb squad but we didn't know the chuck and the bomb squad were, were responsible for that part and you know so we got the call Okay, yeah, fuck. Put the movie. Put the song in the movie. We didn't know how big the movie was going to be. We just knew they wanted it for a movie. Like, okay, cool. So you know, it was catching momentum on the mix shows, and then the movie came and propelled it, like in in a in a way that we did not foresee at all because we knew how aggressive the, the song was and what the content was about. We just thought there's no way that this song is going to do anything on radio or anything else. It's a great album song. And um, <laughs> we did not see <laughs> what was coming after that. And, you know, the momentum of that song caught. And before you know it, we were doing a lot of shit. We are doing a lot of touring, a lot of, you know, a lot of shows. it
0: been around that time you met Rage for the first time? Touring yeah, with just, them.
1: Just slightly after that. And, um, you know, so basically our momentum is is on fire and you know our our album our first album that was started on the charts on the bottom of the top 200 then fell off it popped back on and through the whole year that we were touring after kill a man we put out four four more other singles I believe but that was still the biggest but it it did something for us it kept our momentum going and for that whole maybe year and a half You know, we were touring, the album kept rising back up on the charts, you know, slowly but surely it kept elevating and, um, you know, we, we didn't know what was going on. We were just doing the work before you know it, you know, they pull us off tour to start working on this album. So mug says, you know, in LA, there's going to be too much distractions. We're going to do this in New York. I'm here already. Is that because you're blowing
0: up and everyone wants to party with you?
1: Uh, yeah. People want to show up to the studio unannounced yeah. and crap like that. Mugs just didn't want us to focus. So him and I go up there. Well, he was already out there. I go out there and I'm there for maybe a month writing the songs. And then we get Send Dog up there and then we record to finish. And then we unleash it. And, you know... Wildfire, <laughs> everything right? Everything goes crazy. And, uh, you know we had never been to europe on the first album we didn't we didn't come on on we spend a lot of time touring in states and you know we, we didn't know if europe was gonna accept us so we just kind of avoided it and by the time the second album came around um we hadn't released it yet we were in europe doing our first shows here and you know we started getting the calls that you know like hey man your album comes out tomorrow it's midnight or close to midnight and there's you know people wrapped around the block to get your damn album you know we were getting you know information from home like this and we were just blown away by that because it's nothing that we saw happening and by the time that album came out it entered at number one on the chart and our second album Which was a year before it was right there at number five. So we had a one in five. You know, our first album was at five and our second was at one. And we were the first hip hop group to do that. No doubt, yeah. And, uh, you know, it was a big deal. And we were just looking at it like, really? Cool. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, it it, it was a big deal to us, you know. But at the time, everything was just moving so fast. You know, we didn't get a chance to celebrate it, man. We just kept working. You know, but who knew that? you know, that decision to put Kill a Man on Juice in the pivotal scene. We didn't know what scene it was going in. We just knew it was going in. And they put it in the pivotal scene right before, you know, Pac's character dies in the movie. Rest in peace to Tupac. And, uh, you know, it was like a, it was like the biggest scene in the fucking movie. And, you know, shout out to Chuck and the Bomb Squad for putting that song in in the, the perfect place and and you know that's what uh helped, you know propel the group in in such a way that now eyeballs and ears were on us and people we were in demand and when we followed up with insane in the brain which that was another one that i did not see coming you know i thought it was a great album song but i didn't realize it would be a huge single for us but Those two, those two songs, man, they, they, you know, they were the ones that uh, put us on the map.
0: Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part, they're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing you say eyes and ears were on you be real yeah. um you're obviously kind of notorious for a certain lifestyle which you mentioned at the start of our chat as you start to gain notoriety do you find it hard trying to travel and tour and are people sort of stopping you searching you harassing you
1: oh yeah i mean there's no school for this um they don't you know as a musician they don't groom you for this no. um so you know with, like with athletes they sort of do it to a degree so that you you know know how to conduct yourself in the interviews on camera off camera you represent the team the brand I don't necessarily do that with music it's all a very hands-on learning process and i learned very quickly you know that the, you know once you have success that your privacy as just a regular citizen is gone now you're you know your public domain now so mm-hmm. wherever you go um, eyes and ears are on you, so you know. As I started to, as we started gaining some um, success, some success and and um, fame, I guess you know it became harder to just go places as a regular individual. You know, under the radar and whatnot. Like uh, before, we can go to a mall and just roam around, and you know, no one would blink two eyes at who we were but once it started going you know now you go into this mall and now thousands of people are like stopping you from doing your regular shit and now you're taking pictures signing autographs and you know just trying to get through all that shit and it was very much like that early on these days you know it's people are jaded due to the the social media now you know you could see a star and you'll get awestruck and stuff like that but you know they're more everybody's like this now you know, not so much on the approach they just want to capture you you know doing something so which is its own level of sly it's it? its own level of <laughs> sly but you know it comes with the territory yeah. i mean if, if 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 you become an entertainer or an athlete That's some p- you make public right? figure that is the deal you make with your profession yeah you know that you are no longer a private citizen you are a public figure and you're just going to have to deal with it some people deal with it you know in such a way where they're happy they live their lives and and they're grateful for what they have and some people still are trying to figure out how to deal with it because you know you just sometimes you don't have that time you you could be sitting there eating dinner with your family and somebody comes up I hate to do this to you while you're eating with your family but can I I know it's wrong but I'm going to anyway yeah Yeah, yeah. and you know there's some people that are totally fine with it and then there's some people that just irks the fuck out of them you know and some will be you know cordial and some will snap I've always been cordial you know even if it's in the moment where I don't Really feel be, feel like being cordial, but it, like I said, you know, you cannot wrestle with this. This is a part of who and what you are and what you do, and uh, you know, you'd be in a, you'd feel worse if they didn't want it. Right? If you're sitting there and they're looking at you and they're like, whatever, <laughs> you know, because then they, you know when they, when that stops, you know, you're in trouble. So you know it's
0: over man as, yeah <laughs> yeah
1: as much as a, of a pain in the ass it could be you better you'd be concerned when that's over if you're still actively doing things if you're not doing shit that's that's one thing if you're like like put the game to rest and you're retired or you know you're just not active and you're not looking for any of that fine but if you're in the business currently and you're working and <laughs> Nobody gives a shit. That's a telltale sign, man, you know. And that's when people do dumb things for attention.
0: Who have you enjoyed some good smokes with over the years? Because, again, obviously, once you get well-known for a certain thing, there'll be people who know that oh, yeah. you're the guy for that, so they'll maybe approach you and ask yeah. if they can blaze with you. Have I've you ever been, had any sort I, of unlikely? I've, I've been <laughs>
1: approached by some... Un, Unexpected and unlikely people uh-huh. to, to, to smoke with, and, 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 you I, and one, one of you the sto- one <laughs> of the stories, that, you know, because people often ask me who who have you smoked with that it surprised you the most. And I, I would have to say, I mean, it doesn't, it w- wouldn't have necessarily surprised me that that person smoked, but it it was just more surprising that I was the one to smoke him out. And there's two. Uh, one was Oliver Stone Who was in um, Damien Marley Mar, Marley studio session um, Some years back And there was a bunch of people there Josh Stone was there um, Who was doing something with With, um, with Damien and Nas I believe And it was, it was sounding incredible At that And there was a couple other people there And you know Oliver Stone showed up What so,
0: period of his career is he in at this point? He just put out. probably like six years ago now, right, seven okay. years
1: ago. So he's made all the landmark films. Oh, for just, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. For sure. Yeah, I mean, by this time, yeah, all the landmark films are out. Um, it, you know, and I saw him smoking some of Damien's weed. And no disrespect to Damien, but my weed was much better. So, you know, we offered him some of, some of mine. Leave that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, you know he enjoyed our, our weed. He didn't know who the hell I was. His 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 young girlfriend at the time, or whatever she was to him, said, "I'll tell him later," because she knew who we, I was and whatever. And and uh, he lost his keys after smoking some of our <laughs> some of our high grade. It's probably a good thing. Yeah, which you know <laughs> was a telling sign. You know the old guys have been smoking a long time, but they haven't smoked what we smoke. Because that wasn't available back then, and the other guy, um, which was, you know, really cool and and really surprising, was Bruce Willis. I was at a club one night. Mark Wahlberg, who was a friend of mine, you know, from the Marky for, Mark days, yeah. from the Marky Mark days, hits me up says, "Hey, B, one of my uh, my one of my friends wants to know if he can partake." I said, "Yeah, whatever, bring him over." I did not know that his friend was bruce willis you know and we started you know smoking out with bruce willis <laughs> and it was the coolest shit ever because he you know wasn't he, very mellow very he cool. seems like a cool character oh yeah cool as hell man love it so what that, about
0: tom chong i mean that guy's for you i imagine a real yeah. <laughs> hero and he obviously did so much for You know politics music comedy but also just the popularization and the education of people when it comes to in
1: the world of marijuana culture yeah in the world of cannabis and you know activism within that world he's definitely my mentor you know and i've often told him that you know because he he was the one showing us how to freedom fight him and a host of others like you know jack Herrera, rest in peace who taught me a lot about the cannabis world and you know, the the hypocrisy that exists within the culture and why it's been kept back for so long. I think he'd be very proud to see how much more educated people are about about uh, cannabis culture now and the politics of it. But those two guys taught me a lot. But Tommy's been, like, you know, a very good friend to me. You know, we've done each other favors and, and we've worked together on things and... Uh, You know, it's always cool catching smoke with him, you know, Um, but I see what he's doing in the cannabis industry. And I really believe that he deserves all the the success and opportunities, you know, afforded to him because, I mean, he's put in the work. He's even served as the example when the government made an example by putting him in jail for for that uh, amount of time that they did. And he did not bitch and cry about it. You know, he served his, his time, time like yeah. a man, and he did that for his son, so that his his son didn't have to have a mark on his, on his record, on his life, and stuff like that. You know, because he, he didn't have to go to jail for that. But he took it upon himself to do that. So you know, the respect I have for that man is, you know, it's 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 uh beyond words like him and chuck d are like two mentors in different lanes and they're they're the two guys i i have the utmost respect for
0: and get to call friends I mean, right i
1: get to call friends i get to smoke with one i get to get wreck the stage with the other <laughs> awesome. wrecked in different ways yeah do you
0: have a smoking partner out on the road with the uh the prophets of rage crew or is it you flying well, the solo flag dj out
1: lord here? and i you know yeah. we, we we elevate right, you know, right we're the elevators in the crew um
0: yeah. How did it first come about? How did you get the call to join the band?
1: I got the call from, um, from Tom, but I, I had an insider who told me that they were going to call me. One of my boys uh, from uh, a, a cannabis company called DNA Genetics. His name is Aaron. He's a good friend of mine. He, we kind of look alike, so people call us brothers and shit like that. So, um, you know, he calls me and he goes, bro. I think Rage Against the Machine is going to call you. I think Tom Morello is going to call you. I'm like, for what? <laughs> it's like, They're putting the band together or a band. I'm like, okay, yeah, I've heard this talk before, you know, and I've been invited to the conversation before. You know, We'll see what happens. I was very hesitant to believe this conversation could actually happen, And, uh, you know, because I thought, well, you know, Tom could just call me. He's got my number. That the couple of them have my number. So I, I figured if it was real, I would have gotten a call already. I wouldn't have heard it secondhand from somebody else. But I think he I looks heard like you. Yeah. <laughs> but I but I think I heard it in the very early stages of the idea. Uh, you know, so they didn't have a chance to call me yet. So like, oh, just you know, look for his call or text because it's coming. I'm like okay. You know, I'm hearing it from my boy in the cannabis community. I'm thinking, no, this can't be true. Right. But he's good friends with, you know, a mutual friend that, you know, like works with the band and stuff like that. So he very much had an inside (laughs) point of view there. So, you know, I, I get a text from Brad first asking me if Thomas called me and I said, oh, shit, you know, maybe maybe this is for real. Cause I mean why would Brad just text me and ask me if Tom called right so then Tom Tom called me maybe 15 minutes later and I had already said yes to it in my head the minute Brad asked if if Tom had called me yet I said no but I heard he's supposed to I'll let you know when he does but that was my way of saying yes. So he probably
0: then went and texted Tom and said, why haven't you called him yet?
1: Yeah. <laughs> and so then Tom called me and he ran the idea down to me. And, you know, I was just waiting for him to finish the pitch to say yes. Cause I'd already said yes before he called, like in my head, I was like, there's no way I'm not doing this. If it's true, you know. Um, and do you know at this point, Chuck D is going to be involved too? Uh, Tom told me in that instant right there that Chuck was going to be a part of it. And I was like, you know, Tom, I was already going to say yes, but now I'm saying double yes, you know, because it, 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 the public enemy was one of my biggest influences, as I said earlier. So to be able to share a stage with Chuck, you know, and three of, in my opinion, you know, three of the best players,
0: the best rock band in the world today, yes. I think. Yes, in today's music. There are
1: our Led Zeppelin, our Black Sabbath. Yeah. For our generation. Yeah, yeah. Because those two were my favorite bands when I was a kid. But in our generation, when we grew up listening to the bands of our time, Rage Against the Machine is at the top for me. Yeah. You know, um, and to be able to rock with, you know, three guys from this band and Chuck D, it, you know, and then the, the bonus was DJ Lord. You know, it, it, it was just incredible feeling to, to be invited into that. And then when we started doing the rehearsals, everything was kind of jumbled around and chaotic. And, you know, although it sounded great on paper, as we always say, you know, at first it was kind of cloudy. We didn't know if it was going to actually be good or not, because our first our first rehearsals were you know basically trying to get it together chuck and i trying to grasp doing the songs right because knowing the song and doing the song right is two different things you know as a fan you can you know memorize the song and sing along with it but when you have to lead these fucking powerful vocals that zach de la rocha put down you know with the fire that he put him down with it's, it takes a certain amount of study and practice to get it right. And, you know, in the third or fourth week, just before we were supposed to do the first shows, that's when it really clicked. In and, and
0: What was the first song to click? Was that one?
1: For me, it was Bomb Track. You know, for me, like, you know, because there's songs Chuck leads and songs that I lead. And, uh, you know, for me, it was when I hit Bomb Track on the head. Where I was like, okay, this is gonna be okay because if I can get this song right, I can get the other ones right. I know the songs in my head, but knowing them and delivering them—it's—it's like I said, it's different. It's you know, you gotta practice because it's an exercise. It's like being an athlete, right? If you're a boxer, you gotta train in the boxing gym for your timing, for your strength, for your endurance, for your skill set, right? And it's the same thing with performing songs, especially other people's songs. You know, songs that other people wrote. You know, like, you know, a lot of the artists in the 60s and 70s that didn't write their music, they had writers. They had to go before, you know, they hit the the recording studio and rehearse these songs so that they weren't wasting money and tape doing take after take. They get it right on the first few takes. And, you know, so we we sort of applied that same knowledge. Let's really rehearse. You know, because that's the only way we're going to get this right. And after it becomes a part of your muscle memory, it becomes an eight. Then you can actually do the songs the way they're supposed to be done. And we hit that in the third week. Chuck and I sort of hit it like around the same time. And then once we got used to these songs, we thought, well, let's let's take a couple of these songs and flip them back and forth. You know, you do a verse. do a verse we flip the choruses around that way it's not one 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 and then our songs and then going back to that we thought let's put a run DMC ish kind of effect to to some of the raid songs and flipping them back and forth and that sort of developed a style for Chuck and I to do on the original album so you know it, it all came together when it was supposed to and then by the time we hit the stage it was just the nervousness of, like, finally getting to do it. Where it was, was it, the first show? It was at the, the Whiskey A Go-Go.
0: Had to be. How and was the, that putting in the picture It, it was. Night?
1: It was amazing. I mean, you know, it, it was packed, like, crammed in there. And, uh, you know, we were all anxious, you know, to get it over with and finally play and see what the reaction would be, with how the fans would embrace it or not. And... Uh, You know, I was really fucking nervous, you know, to be honest with you, out of all the shows I've done 26 years of doing this shit that had to be one of the most nerve wracking ones was that first little show, you know, because you have some hardcore rage against the machine fans up, you know, there that like if you don't get it right, they're going to be vocal about it. And you're going to hear that shit the next day all over social media, how you fucked it up. So, you know, I was just saying to myself, you're not fucking this up. (laughs) And fortunately, you know, we put down uh, a set that people were definitely reactive to and, you know, they loved it. And that that started the wave. That was the ripple that that started um, it all for us. And, you know, it quickly it quickly started some excitement out there for the idea of Prophets of Rage and you know, people see in our show and you know that the next one was at the Palladium which was quite bigger and that one was amazing because it would just it it amplified the notion and the energy of what the people came with at, at the at the whiskey show.